Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everybody. Dr. Zubin Nemanja, a.k.a. Z-Dog MD. Welcome to the Z-Dog MD show. Okay, this episode was an interesting one. It's a little different than what we normally do. So I had flown to Las Vegas. We had rented a studio to shoot a bunch of videos, which uh, many of which you've seen, probably seen by now. But this particular segment, Tom and I had just started talking, and we're like, you know what? Let's just do a video of us having the kind of conversations we have normally. But you know, do it in a kind of a video format. And so what we tried here was Tom would just shoot me questions and I would answer him. The video is actually makes it make a little more sense because you can see me kind of talking to him. But as a podcast, I think this will work well. And the subject matter is is of particular interest to many people, judging by the response I've gotten to the video so far. And that is what should our thinking be around physicians and healthcare professionals who have in the past tried psychedelic drugs? And I talk about my own story reluctantly because there's still so much stigma professionally, socially, and otherwise around these agents. And so I tell the story about my college experience with this stuff and how it influenced in general the course of my life intellectually and otherwise. And I think for many people who've had these experiences and many who haven't and are curious, I think this discussion is essential listening because first of all, you have a doctor like myself coming out and saying, you know what, hmm, could it be that maybe people who care for other people as a living ought to have a broader sense of what the mind is capable of doing and the kind of connections you can form and the kind of expansive experiences you can have. And you can get that through meditation. You can get that through psychedelics. You can get that through prayer. There's a million ways you can get those experiences. But my biggest concern is what if you've never had those experiences? I think having, and again, I get into this in the podcast, but having had those experiences myself, I feel increasingly like they're essential. And what we talk about in the podcast is not just those experiences, but how they may inform a better, more transcendent science. Because science isn't a dogma, it's actually a, it's an approach to understanding and solving problems. And to some extent, we've hit a wall where we're starting to run up against the limits of a reductionist, materialist approach. So maybe, Maybe there are other ways to think about this stuff. So we talk about that as well. We talk about mental illness. We talk uh, and refer a little bit to Donald Hoffman's podcast that he did with me about the nature of reality, conscious agent theory, other things like that. And 
So I hope you guys enjoy this. If you do, by the way, here's the pitch. Uh, subscribe to the show on the podcast platform of your choice. Leave a review. It helps us a lot. Spread the word about this stuff. We're going to continue to talk about this kind of thing. In fact, increasingly so. So if this is stuff you don't like, then maybe you don't want to subscribe, but we're going to continue to do what we normally do. And then if you want to go deeper, join us on Facebook or YouTube. The supporter tribes there, it's like $4.99 a month is the price of admission. It keeps the riffraff out. It's a sort of self-selecting group of people that are passionate about the stuff we talk about. Health 3.0, consciousness, meditation, transforming healthcare, and just having a good time. We do all those things in these uh, supporter groups. So that's another way that it helps us to do what we do because that income supports our team and our production costs and all those other things. It's really, really helpful. Okay, so without further ado, Tom and I just launch right into it, and here is... Should your doctor have tried psychedelics? Enjoy. Purple. Have you ever done drugs? Have I ever done drugs? <laughs> I went to Berkeley, dude. Like, yeah. This is the thing. I went in high school. I never did anything. I was super straight arrow. Like, because literally, I grew up in the era of Nancy Reagan saying, "Don't do shit." I forget what was her catchphrase. Just say no. Just say no. And I grew up in the Central Valley of California, super conservative place. My parents are both doctors. They're from India. There's no drugs. There's no drugs that they would admit to. So, so when was the first time you did drugs? So the first time I'm in a dorm room in Berkeley, Putnam Hall, right? I'm on the fifth floor. And this kid, this kid was like the only weird libertarian conservative kid in, at all of Berkeley, right? And he was like, hey man, Z-Dog, have you ever smoked weed, man? Because they're, they're outlawing it and that's bullshit because liberty. And I'm like, no, because Nancy Reagan says that shit's dangerous. Next thing I know, i am got my mouth around a bong and I was like, oh, and I've never smoked a cigarette. I'm like coughing. It was like, I, I remember this so vividly because it was the first altered consciousness of my whole life. And I, I looked down and I look up and I'd entered what the best I could describe it was, it was a dream state. Like I'm like living in a dream, walking in a dream. And I could sense this weird distortion of space and time where, where I was telling, I was walking around like that asshole that you see in the dorms, like, man, I see the fourth dimension, bro, I see it. And there, there, are, there were people in that dorm who to this day, they went through med school with me and they still will call me on it. Remember that time you saw the fourth dimension? I was like, I was 18. And, and, but the thing is, as an experience, immediately I remember after I sobered up, I was like, oh, I get, I get like what the 60s even were about. Like I didn't understand these hippies and now I'm like, oh, this experience was so different than anything. And it opened my mind to things that the mind could do, which then they always say like weed's a gateway drug, right? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's like more Nancy Reagan shit. It's true because what it does is it says, oh, okay, I didn't die, I didn't go crazy, and I had a really interesting experience that in some level was quite enjoyable. So next thing I know, I tried uh, LSD, and this was one of my roommates uh, who was a real psychonaut, even in those days, like poli-sci major, and he's like, oh yeah, we got, I got this from some guy on Telegraph Avenue, I'm like, what could possibly go wrong? End up doing a tab of acid and sitting there, 30 minutes go by, nothing happens. We're in our little uh, rental place and I'm playing my guitar. And it's just like Joe Satriani looking like multi-colored guitar that I had until recently when I broke it and gave it to the Salvation Army. And I'm, I'm playing and the neck 
starts to bend. And I'm like, that doesn't happen in real life. And I had enough meta-awareness that I was like, this is no, this is oh, oh. Next thing you know, I'm on a ride. That, that to describe it as like the sense of mind expansion, like the, the whole universe seemed to connect. It was really a borderline mystical experience. And you get all the weird hallucinatory stuff and the strange visual stuff, but that was just a side effect. What I felt, I looked up at the moon that night, I remember on our backyard and I was like, oh my God, I'm one with everything that ever was, ever is, I'm eternal, I will never die. And that felt more true than anything in waking life. And, and really that was it. I kind of dabbled in like, you know, little mushrooms, little acid when I was in college. And, but that experience told me that the human mind is just a veil on something underneath. And that's why I got interested in meditation because I said, you know, I bet you can access this without the medication. And it really changed the direction of my life because I would have just kind of fallen into maybe research or reductionism. Instead, I went into medicine because I found something, something deeply mysterious about the human consciousness that I thought medicine could help me understand better. And actually it didn't. It only helped me to the extent that I got to know people better and I got to know that interaction better, but the science can't quite get at it yet because I think we're still just moving icons in a desktop. We need to get into the source code of it. So- What would you say, what would you say to the people who are like, hey, z Dog, you're a doctor. You need to stop doing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a great question. It's taken me many years to be able to even admit that I dabbled in psychedelics in college and that I would consider doing it again now in my elderly years. And it's because there's so much stigma, right? From everything in the 60s and everything. But the truth is, this is what, this is what I really, you wanna know what I really think? What I really think is if you haven't tried a psychedelic sometime in your life or had some sort of experience that's similar, whether it's a meditation retreat or something, you shouldn't touch patients. That's, I honestly believe that. And a lot of people are gonna get pissed at me, but the thing is, the one thing that happens when you do that, you have that psychedelic experience or mystical experience, is you come back and you go, I have missed something so central to the nature of what our minds are, what we are, our place in everything, that I couldn't imagine not having had this experience and still being effective in the world. Now, I may be deluded, but that's what it feels like, and I'm gonna stick with it. Take it far back, it's like, honestly, that's what doctors used to be, like when they were medicine men, you know? It's like, I'm gonna do these drugs, then you're gonna do these drugs, and I'm gonna be your trip sitter and walk you through what it feels like to be on these drugs. You know, I think the future of medicine, I'm gonna take a lot of shit for this, is more shamanic than it is giving medications and pushing this stuff. That's always be a part of it. You're gonna take so much shit for that. You People need to clarify it. People are gonna be shit. When I say shamanic, I mean, our role is almost as a guide. We are a shepherd. You're bringing your own healing with you, right? We're gonna help you with these tools we have from the armamentarium that we have, you know, whether it's Lipitor or Lasix or Olanzapine or Zoloft, but part of that trip may be a guided psychedelic experience with a guide who is medically trained. Maybe a part of that is sitting and being present with you in a way that two conscious agents interact and the healing comes from what we used to call the placebo effect or the mind-body effect, but really, is a transcending mind-body continuum. And this is not to endorse, you know, 
kooky alternative medicine stuff. It's to transcend and include the best of what we have with this higher understanding of what humans really are. So I'm doubling down on that. I will take a lot of shit from people like Gorski and these other guys that'll be like, Z-Dog is an iconoclast who's spouting garbage. He might as well be Dr. Oz. Now, Dr. Oz sells bullshit on TV. I'm just telling you, this is what I think the truth is about the universe. You were also a pretty hardcore reductionist for a number of years, right? So like, yeah, I mean, you, you burn that out. D don't you feel like you reached the end of the road with reductionism? So reductionism, materialism, this idea that we are only these chemical reactions, right? Uh, was how we're conditioned in, in Western science, Western medicine. And even when I had had that acid trip in Berkeley, I'm a molecular biology major. I'm studying genetics in a Drosophila lab. My whole world is material science. It's, reductionism, like every experience, human experience, the taste of chocolate, whatever it is, love can be reduced to a chemical reaction. And that's how I was trained. And even while having this experience on LSD, I was trying to shoehorn what my mind was doing. In other words, oh my gosh, I've never had these connections, this feeling of openness and connectedness. It must be serotonin levels are rising or it's opening up different receptors. And it took me years to realize that that reductionism wasn't the answer. It's simply a correlation. Yeah, those receptors change, but what arises is conscious experience, which I don't think is reducible and identical to a serotonin flux or a dopamine flux. I think they're correlated, but they're not the same. There's something else going on. And again, I've done interviews with people that I think have the right idea, but it's taken me years to kind of come to this. So it's not something that I'm just making up. I'm not trying to sell you anything. This is just my experience. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like my, think about like my mother, they wanted me to put her on a legal 2000, right? Mm -hmm. Such a reductionist approach to medicine, which is like, you need to have the police kidnap this woman, uh, put her in restraints and force these chemicals into her because we believe there's a chemical imbalance in her, right? I didn't do that. She went back to being normal after two days, like what her baseline is. Fine, right? If I had done it, I would have made it worse for months. It would have lingered because it's trauma. This is the thing. We do the best we can with the tools we have. We speak the language of reductionism, so we move those tools around our desktop. And that's what they're trying to do with your mom. Well. She's really... You'll have to unfold the, the my mom stuff. You'll have to, because like, it's just too long. You yeah, I'm trying to get... So... Like, well, because the thing I'm trying to get at, maybe I can make it about my... Something better is like, do you even believe there are chemical imbalances? Do you believe that's accurate? I believe that uh, when, we, when we see chemicals imbalanced in a mind, and I think that happens, right? And you can see correlation between conscious experience and fMRI data. Things are correlated. Absolutely. The question is, where's the causality? Well, it turns out if you mess with the interface and you move serotonin here and you do this with dopamine, you have a different conscious experience because they're so tightly correlated. It doesn't mean that that's causative. It might mean that you can actually get a similar effect from some other intervention on a conscious experience, whether that's serious psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, being present with someone. In, in cases of severe mental illness like your mother, it's probably so disjointed that you have to have all these approaches because we only have limited tools. They're gonna look back on modern psychiatry and say it's barbarism, but we look back on all of medicine that way, right? So we have to be a little, com hold in compassion what 
we're trying to do in Western medicine, but at the same time understand that we're missing a big part of this. So what they tried to do with your mother when they said, put her on an involuntarily, involuntary hold, take her out of her life, put her in this, that's the best that they know how to do. Because what, else, what are the other options? You happen to get really lucky. She was very lucky because she has a son who's there, who's with her, who's keeping her safe, keeping her from going out and hurting herself. Not everybody has that, so they have to do the best they can. It's really a struggle. But if we're asking the wrong questions, if this is all reduced to chemicals, I don't think we're ever gonna, we're gonna, we're already hitting a wall. Haven't we been asking the long questions for far too long? Like, wouldn't you think of something like an SSRI as just like a super mild lobotomy? <laughs> is an SSRI a super mild lobotomy? I don't think so. I think I, this is my, this is a great- But it's just an overall dulling. You know- It doesn't cause permanent damage. So it's many, a reversible lobotomy. Many people describe psychiatric drugs as a kind of a dulling experience for them, and they won't, don't wanna take it. Because they're blunt tools. They're blunt tools. It's, it's, it's like, you only have certain symbols to work with. They're dumbed down. You don't see the underlying reality. So you move those symbols around. And one of those symbols is the serotonin molecule. And you move it around, you change its concentration, you change its receptor upregulation, and something changes in conscious experience. But something else changes that isn't desirable. So we're still very blunt. Could it be that we could design better drugs to do that? Yes, but to do that, you have to release the reductionist approach and understand what those drugs actually represent. And that will be, I think, the next phase of science. True science. Do me and you share the same reality? Do me and you share the same reality? I think we interact with the same matrix of consciousness that everybody does, but we interpret it differently. We construct it differently, and it affects our own awareness differently, but the same enough that we share an intersubjective truth. So you and I share certain understandings, English, uh, certain norms, like if we're in an airport, we don't run around yelling, bomb! Well, maybe some of us do. And that comes from our shared conditioning of, uh, within that matrix. But yes, we each construct our own experience of reality a thousand percent. That's without doubt. But how do I know that the color blue that I see is the same color blue that you see? You don't. You don't and you can't, but I will say this. I think humans evolved our interface with reality in a similar, mostly similar way. The exception is the mutations that happen that cause synesthesia, where you may smell colors or see sounds. And those are people that prove the rule that our interface is constantly evolving. And it's, it may be that in the future, it might be beneficial to us to survive to see a sound, right? To see a sound of a siren as the color red. And we share that red. Actually, that experience of red probably as a qualia, as an experience is the same because it has been selected for through natural selection, whatever that is in reality, in the reality. Do the mentally ill see less of reality or more of reality? I think the mentally ill, some of them see more of the underlying source code and it makes it unstable. Because remember the proposition that Hoffman and others have said is that seeing the underlying source code of reality, the complexity of it is untenable in terms of survival. It's too much information and it doesn't help you survive. So when I look at a glass of water, it may represent, it may point to the deepest, most complex conscious agent having experiences, but our mind reduces it to a glass of water because we don't need to see that in order to survive. Someone who's mentally ill might actually see something in that glass of water that is 
vastly different than you and I have access to, but it's maladaptive to live in a society of humans. It's just not good. We call that crazy, right? So I actually think when we understand mental illness at its root, it's gonna be something along those lines. It's not gonna be, oh, there's a serotonin flux that's out of you know, jiggering. What, what do you think we could do with, if, if it turns out to be true that consciousness is the underpinning of everything, right? What could we do with that in terms of medical structures? So if it turns out that like say Hoffman's theory that everything is consciousness interacting with itself in mathematically predictable ways, the way that helps medicine is you create a science that's based on the underlying source code instead of on the icons. In other words, right now, all of science, if this is true, is the science of our desktop. Oh, I move the trash can here, it does this. I move this document here, it does that. But it doesn't tell us if we actually wanna transform things, how do we get into the underlying program? In the old days, the idealists, it's a school of philosophy that said, well, we can't really know reality because it's unknowable, it's just God or whatever. That's not very helpful. It's not very scientifically precise and it doesn't help us actually do things in the world. But a, but a theory where you have mathematically predictable models of conscious agents inter interacting with themselves can actually predict what happens in our interface that means you can start to manipulate it at the source code level with the right technology. What's a psychedelic? A manipulation of our interface. Right. It's a gross, crude manipulation of our interface. And it's a plant consciousness. Maybe it's a plant consciousness. Maybe you're seeing fungal consciousness. Who knows, right? People who've done it feel this is true. They'll tell you, no, that's what it felt like. When was the first uh, moment that you questioned reality? How, how early? How far back? I think I started questioning reality when I was, I went through the bar mitzvah equivalent in Zoroastrianism, which is a priest, two priests come to your house and you're 11 and they, you have to learn these prayers and you go through the ceremony. And I started going, okay, so there's a God, of course, right? And it's a mythic magic God that you have to pray to because it can punish you and this and that. And I started going, that doesn't really jibe with any of this, that I'm having this experience in this world. How does that have anything? And, and the facade of reality started to crack then. And then psychedelic experience in college, and I said, oh, oh, no, no. Reality is much deeper, more complex than we're able to perceive. And it's not just that we're not perceiving all of reality. It's that we've taken reality and we've turned it into symbols that have nothing to do with reality. They're simply ways for us to survive. Reality itself is far more beautiful, complex, and terrifying than, than we have access to, or should have access to, maybe. That's a valid question. If we want to survive in society, should we have access to that? These are valid questions. So there's something here about like how the data allows people to do terrible things. You know what I mean? Like because it's reductionism on top of reductionism. So it's like mm. not the world is true. It's this way. It's all, you know, it's hard. I can knock on things. There's the mm. desk, right? Yeah. And then we have measures for things. So these are our measures and we're going to improve things this way. And here's, look, here's the data that backs the data. So it's all endogenous, right? right? It's like, same thing with reductionism. It's like, this is the thing that does the thing. Yeah. This is the icon that, right. right. Those are connected and I can't figure out how to. So this idea that most of modern science has been so successful because it works. If we move this icon, this happens. If we, this atom does this, quantum mechanics, one of the most successful theories of all times, predicts reality. Makes no sense that Things would need conscious observers to settle down or have, but, but it works. It's absolutely predictable. So we have fallen into what Hoffman calls a rookie mistake of going, okay, so this interface must be reality because we can manipulate it and make things happen. It's true up to a point. 
And science has been really good at getting to that point. And everything in our current model was true until it starts to push up against where it's not, where we're failing. We're now getting to the point, we're in the 21st century. We haven't figured out cancer yet. We haven't figured out mental illness. We haven't figured out why people are conscious at all. And it's because the reduction as a materialism is gonna fail. It really is. Now, some people say we're just not smart enough. We don't have a powerful enough computer. I don't think so. I think it's because the next layer of science is understanding the source code, which is that it isn't atoms really, emerging consciousness. It's consciousness that emerges an icon of atoms. And it's predictable. We can have scientific formulas that are mathematically based. As Hoffman said, math is the bones of consciousness. It's the flesh and bones of consciousness. That's science in its purest form. Science isn't a dogma, it's an approach. So the next layer of science is gonna be that. I am convinced of this, dude. Like, it gives you a feeling both intellectually and emotionally that that is absolutely correct. And that's why I talk about this stuff at great risk to my own personal reputation, because I, I, I think it's true. And I think a lot of people that don't admit this publicly think it's true. Uh, so I'm excited. The future is gonna be insane, like absolutely amazing. But we have to transcend this reductionism. One, one last question. Would you agree with the statement that all significant advances in science are conscious perceptual shifts? All significant advances in science are conscious perceptual shifts. I will say this, I, I wouldn't reduce it just to science, I would say all significant advances in humanity collectively are due to conscious perceptual shifts. This leads into the, you know, why a better computer or a faster computer isn't gonna solve it. Like we have to change ourselves. The whole model of our minds have to change. The whole model of society has to change. That's why, you know, I hate this, this idea that oh, you know, only Democrats are progressives, only conservatives are trying to pull you back. No, we all need to transcend and include what has come before, but transcend to that next level. Use this all as building. It's all true, but partial. What's the next emergent? We're there because we're running up on the failures of the current paradigm. And it used to be the current paradigm couldn't be beat. We went to the moon. We harnessed the atom for, to power electricity. We cured you know, infectious diseases. Oh my God, it gives you goosebumps when you think about it. What have we done lately? And the reason is that now we're at the end of that paradigm, what's next? So don't resist it. We need to start to go, okay, okay, this is what's been successful, let's build on it, and this is what's failed, let's transcend it. And that next rung on the ladder is this realization. It is a huge perceptual shift. And the new age people talk about it, ah, oh, everybody's gonna get woke, that's not what it is. It's a slow fits and starts wave and then the wave recedes, but it's gotta happen. And that's why we have conversations like this. If five people in the audience get this and they send me a message, I know that we're on the right track because it's gonna have to start at the fringes and then open up. So the punchline is, hey, 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 smoke weed every day. <laughs>